Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. The book of Romans is considered by many to be the most important book of the New Testament because it gives such a clear picture of Christianity. It presents Christian doctrine more clearly than any of the other New Testament writings, and plenty of theologians would tell you that if you're going to read one book of the New Testament, it better be Romans. If you could only read one book for the rest of your life and you wanted a clear picture of what it means to be a Christian, read Romans, they'd say. And one of my seminary professors would say the same about the Psalms. If you could only read one book of the Old Testament, make it the Psalms. With all due respect to Paul, he'd say, there's good reason to call the book of Psalms the Romans of the Old Testament. Because out of all the books of the Old Testament, the Psalms give the most complete picture of both humans and of God. There's good reason that Martin Luther called the Psalms the Little Bible. It's a good title because if you read through all of the Psalms, you will read the story of God's redemption of humanity just as you would if you picked up the Bible and read it from cover to cover. What I love about the Psalms, though, is that you can read them all the way through and get a rather full picture of God's work in the world but you can also pluck them up one by one as if they are individual standalone journal entries for all of humanity. When you read through them one by one, they become mirrors for us, naming the emotions and experiences you might find in a private diary. That same seminary professor says that the Psalms caress and assault the soul. They scale the heights of praise and plumb the depths of despair. The anguished cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is matched by the joyful summons. Make a joyful noise to God all the earth. The poetry oscillates between anguish and joy, righteous protest and personal confession. In his words, the Psalms capture better than any other works in scripture the bipolar life. Of faith. And so my hope as we begin our summer of Psalms is that over the next couple of months, these Psalms become mirrors for us and we learn something of both God and of ourselves. As you heard just a moment ago, there are 150 Psalms in the Bible, which means we will not come close to exploring all of them. And it also makes it hard to know where to begin because there are so many. Instead of starting with the very first psalm, which would be a very good place to start, we're going to start with the most popular psalm this week, and next week we'll backtrack to the first psalm. But today we're going to begin with the 23rd psalm, 
words that I imagine most of you know. Some of you probably have these words committed to memory. But before we turn to this familiar scripture, let's pray. Pour out your spirit, O God. Send your energy, your imagination, your prophecy to this place. Wake us up. Open our eyes. Unplug our ears so that we might hear something new, see something new, dream something new, and walk a new path as we leave. Amen. I invite you to hear anew the 23rd Psalm and listen for what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall, shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a pastor who tells the story of making a pastoral care visit. He says, I went to see a lady in our church who was facing surgery. I went to see her in the hospital. She'd never been in the hospital before, and the surgery was major. I walked in there, and she was a nervous wreck. She started crying immediately, and she wanted me to pray with her, which I did. By her bed, there was a stack of books and magazines, True Love, Mirror, Hollywood Today, stuff about celebrities. She had a stack of them there, and she was a wreck. It occurred to me there's not a calorie in that whole stack to help her through this experience. She had no place to dip down into a reservoir and come up with something, a word, a phrase, a thought, an idea, a memory, a person, just empty. He went on to say, how marvelous is the life of a person who, like a wise homemaker, when the berries and fruits and vegetables are ripe, puts them away in jars and cans in the cellar. Then when the ground is cold, icy and barren and nothing seems alive, she goes down into the cellar, comes up, and it's May, June, at her family's table. How blessed is that person? If I was going to label the jars and cans in the cellars of faith, prayer would certainly be among them. Why is it that prayer can make us so uncomfortable, though? You know what I'm talking about. There's no faster way to suck the air out of a room than by asking a group of Presbyterians, who will pray? People get awkward. They try to avoid eye contact. Sometimes people start fidgeting. If you haven't experienced this, then the next time you're at a gathering, just ask the question to your friends who will pray and see what happens. 
Years ago, I was working at a church and a small group asked me if I would come join them and lead their uh, small group session. And so I went ready to teach their lesson and right when I showed up, they said, now it has to be 45 minutes or less because the last 15 minutes of our meeting is for prayer. And I got nervous because they hadn't told me I'd need to lead a 15 minute long prayer. So I was a little bit panicked. But then, after I finished the lesson and it came time to pray, the weirdest thing happened. They went around the circle and they all shared prayer concerns and they talked about who they'd like to pray for. They got into personal stories, they shared genuine concerns about people in their congregation and their community. They questioned each other about things as they were shared. It was lively. And I still had no idea what was going to happen at the end of these prayer concerns. And so I'm madly trying to scribble notes in the corner and figure out who's who and what would need to be prayed for because I just assumed as the only pastor I would have to say the prayer at the end. But after everyone shared their prayer concerns, the leader stood up and said, Okay, see you next week. I was so confused. I said, aren't we going to pray? I thought the last 15 minutes was for prayer. She said, oh, well, we just share our prayer concerns, but we don't actually say a prayer together. I left even more confused than when I got there. I had no idea what was going to come of these prayer concerns. Were people going to go home and pray on their own? Were they going to go talk about these prayer concerns in the parking lot? Would there be an entirely new list of prayer concerns the following week? I still have no idea what happened with those prayer concerns. But it was a good reminder to me that prayer can make us so uncomfortable. Why is that? Why is it that when it, when it comes time to find words to pray... We don't really know what to do. And if prayer is such an awkward thing, we have to wonder, why pray at all? Now, we could spend a year talking about prayer and not saying nearly all that deserves to be said. But today, I want to offer one simple case for prayer. Because as I read the 23rd Psalm... I noticed something that I hadn't before, and I love it when that happens with scriptures, especially scriptures we know so well. I thought I knew where I was going, and I was thinking that the 23rd Psalm would be a great model of how we should pray. But the more and more I read these words, the more I began to see this as kind of a portrait of what happens when we commit ourselves to prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Imagine for just a moment that the psalmist felt just as awkward as we do sometimes when it comes time to pray. What if this prayer started with clammy hands and a tongue tied because he didn't really know what words to offer for a prayer? All eyes were on him, and he didn't know what to say. So finally, he simply recites what he knows, or at least what he's been told about God. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores me. He leads me. 
beautiful words. But what if the psalmist is just telling himself who God is, as if saying it aloud will make it true? Like an affirmation of sorts, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me, he restores me. If you don't know what to pray, that's a great way to begin. Say what you've heard about God. Use the words from the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me, he restores me. I wonder how many times the psalmist prayed that prayer. Just those first few sentences... We get the complete prayer, but I imagine this was put together over years. How many times do you think that psalmist sat down and felt awkward about finding the right words to pray? And so then he just began to say what he had heard about God, reciting what he'd been told. I can imagine that just becoming his rote prayer, kind of like the Lord's Prayer sitting down at the end of a night or at the end of a small group gathering, and when it came time to pray, offering those simple words, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me, he restores me, this is what I know about God. That's a fine prayer. He could have prayed that prayer for years, and the prayer really could have ended right there, but eventually something changed for the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. Will those words turn into, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Something changed. And it got personal. Instead of reciting what he'd heard to be true about God, faith that had been passed on for generations, perhaps, the faith of his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents leaving his lips. Something changed in the course of his prayer life, and all of a sudden the psalmist is able to add his own testimony to the prayer. Though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. Instead of talking about God, all of a sudden he's in the hospital room facing something serious and he's talking to God because it's personal. That faith had become real. That's what prayer does. Prayer makes faith personal. It allows us to move from talking about God to being in relationship with God. God was always with the psalmist. But prayer was the thing that opened his eyes so that he could name God's presence for himself, even and especially in the midst of darkness. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Prayer is the thing that can add summer's bounty to a winter table. It's a can in the cellar of faith. And one of the many gifts of the Psalms is that they give us words to pray and we can avoid awkwardly fumbling for our own. So make this Psalm your prayer. Memorize it. Pray it with your children. Pray it every day. Pray it with your grandchildren aloud. Pray it silently as you fall asleep. And I imagine if you do, one day you will find yourself giving thanks that there's a can in your cellar when all seems icy and barren. 
because you too will be able to claim, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. May it be so. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.